because we had to move at the speed of war to fight a more decentralized enemy. Mm-hmm. And to fight a decentralized enemy, we had to decentralize our controls as well. Hey, if you've been thinking about training with me and my team in Carlsbad, California at one of our SealFit Academies, let me encourage you to do it this October. This is our last academy for 2017. It occurs October 12th to 14th in Carlsbad, California. Now, the reason this is important is that this is the last time we're offering the academy in this format. The academy is a three-day immersion experience that combines the core principles of both SealFit and Unbeatable Mind, and it's led personally by me and my team of coaches from HQ. This course blends both classroom time with rigorous physical and mental training to forge mental toughness, emotional resiliency, and to introduce the five-mountain training model. There's no question that you will become a more indomitable and courageous leader in all areas of your life as a result of this event. Now, as I mentioned, this is the last time we're offering it in this format because as of next year, I won't be able to personally attend the SealFit Academies. So as a special offer to you as a podcast listener, if you sign up for the Academy by September 8th, I'm going to include a pair of 511 boots as a bonus, completely free. That's $140 value. (laughs) These are unbelievable boots. You're going to love them. And like I said before, this is a special offer only for you who is listening to this podcast and only good until September 8th. Sign up for the Academy now. Take advantage of this offer by going to sealfit.com slash events and use the promo code BOOTS, B-O-O-T-S, at checkout. Hope to see you there. Hoo-yah, Divine out. Hey folks, welcome back. This is Mark Divine with the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. I am here at SealFit headquarters with Brent Gleason. Before I get started with Brent, and of course I'll give him a more proper intro. <laughs> Good to see you, Brent. Good to see you. Uh, we are having our final SealFit Academy of 2017 on October 13th. Is that right, Jeff? October 13th. And uh, this is an incredible event. Three days. It's the full download of the Seal Fit and the Unbeatable Mind training methods and philosophy. Um, it's an incredible event, and you're not going to want to miss this. So if you're looking to do it, this is your last chance until April of 2018. Check out our website, sealfit.com slash events for all the info. And I uh, hope to see you there. It's one of my favorite events. I spend at least 15 hours personally coaching that event, and we have a blast. One other quick announcement. We are leaving SealFit headquarters. I mean, I we literally that. have been run out of town. We've <laughs> been here a long time. We've been here for 10 years, yeah. and this has been an incredible place. I and mean, we get visitors from all over the world to come, and you yeah. know, it's very exciting for them. This is the epicenter, but we're leaving. So we're kind of like a little bit having like a bittersweet party around here. You What's know the what I mean? new destination? We're going to move to Carlsbad, okay. but not we're far. not, not going to have a gym. I mean, we will have a gym, but it won't be a membership gym. Sure. So we're giving up the CrossFit. Our CrossFit members are all sad. And we're going to have like a studio gym where we'll sure. be able to film and we'll be able to serve the community better around the world. Right. And we won't be as distracted running a retail operation in a, in a Well, I was going to say, won't that open up opportunity to focus on that core business, right. you know, that's related to some of the other things you do as yeah. opposed to being sort of well, that's, disjointed that's what, and That's what I think. But, yeah. you know, it's also a transition of our culture from kind of like a casual gym-based culture, yeah. you know, early days of SealFit to, sure. you know, trying to grow a, a real company. A little more corporate. Yeah. Right, a little corporate feel. It's a so, good problem. It's a good problem to have, <laughs> but it is bittersweet. And our, my, it's really for me, my playground. 
Yeah. Is going away. Yeah. <laughs> That's really <laughs> what we're you, talking you about. I love this place more than anybody. So. <laughs> I love this place. Like, I just walk out and do burpees. I mean, it's like heaven. <laughs> I remember probably about eight years ago or six years ago, came by for a quick meeting about the oh, website. Yeah, let's talk you about it. put us through the most horrendous. <laughs> I just came for a meeting. It was horrific. I was in, fact, puking I, in the corner. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, oh, yeah, Brent. I'm really excited to see Brent again. And then I was remembering that we did this crazy back squat workout 100 with, body weight squats followed by pull ups. Every, every minute on the minute, minute, we had five pull ups or something. And who is your partner at the time my uh, our coo uh well brandon was there and then our partner our coo uh, this guy miles who's super fit right uh miles the, the only one who did the workout he sat down and i was like oh bro you're quitting already he's like no i'm done <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome the rest of us As i, I was think stifling we, I don't vomit think we finished. <laughs> <laughs> and we went on a, like a four mile run afterwards that was <laughs> awesome that was the early days yeah all right anyways as i said brent gleason a friend of mine former seal team guy entrepreneur successful entrepreneur um and author now speaker and author. So we're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about the teams. We're going to talk about whatever the heck comes to our minds. So Sounds good. welcome, man. Thanks yeah, very much. Good to see you, brother. It's been what, yeah. six years since Something we saw Something like you. that. Seems like a couple months, but <laughs> time's flying. So you know um, our audience is, you know, Seal Fit, Unbeatable Mind Tribe. Right. And so we like to keep the, the conversation around things that, that are motivating, performance, mental toughness, resiliency, leadership, yeah. all those things. We, we veer, you know, we stay clear of politics and war and you know yeah. i don't like tell war stories and stuff like that so although politics would be kind of fun to talk about right now <laughs> it's getting like a real especially if we're going to talk about leadership but know, we'll exactly stay away right? from that. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. it in a different context right exactly <laughs> so brent tell us about your kind of formative years i kind sure. of like start there your formative year where are you from and what were some of your earlier influences and what kind of led you to the seal team path it's actually kind of a, a funny story that sometimes I'll uh, allude to in keynote presentations because mm-hmm. people are interested in always yeah. your journey from you the civilian from, world from into the SEAL community. I grew up in Dallas, uh, did my undergrad at Southern Methodist University, okay. uh, degrees in finance and economics. And so obviously the path was going to be into corporate America. Just like me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I took a job as a financial analyst with a large uh, investment firm. Okay. And... Simultaneously, I also had uh, one of my roommates who graduated. His path was to into the Navy, uh, mm-hmm. so we went to OCS, mm-hmm. Naval Intelligence. He's had a phenomenal career in human intelligence. He's now the youngest director of the Counterterrorism Ops Center that we've ever had. No kidding. Yeah, cool. I know. And I know right all on. his dirt, dark, dirty secrets. <laughs> I can't believe he's running that show, but yeah, right. uh, that's another story. But I also had another fraternity brother of mine actually a year behind me, and he was on the path. This was just before 9-11, so... Keep in mind, this okay. is peacetime, right. different mindset, since we're going to be talking about mindset mm-hmm. and mindset transformation. So he was, uh, he was a senior. I was working in finance. So I had played rugby in college, and I was a swimmer in high school, so I obviously wanted to find a way to stay fit mm-hmm. while I was working. And so we started training together, helping him prepare strength training, running. Did he wanted to be a SEAL? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Okay. He wanted to, he was going to graduate, join the Navy and attempt to make yeah. it to, right. to butts. Right. And so we started training together. We started running marathons and swimming every weekend and, and every week, every night we would, I'd get home at seven o'clock from my finance job and grab a backpack with fins, run four miles to SMU, swim in the pool for an hour, run four miles home. Nice. We did this every night. Ran ten to twenty miles on the weekends, and but at the same time, this was to prepare him not to right. you know transition right. me out of you know, my finance job. But I also started becoming through all of our dialogue and our time spent together and books he would recommend. Started becoming very fascinated with mm-hmm. SEAL history, SEAL culture, mm-hmm. what it means to be part of that type. Did of, you have anyone in your family in the military? My dad was in the Marine Corps during the okay. reserves, okay. or he was in the reserves during Vietnam. Right. Got it. 
never deployed downrange, but nor has he ever been the type of person that says, you know, you, you should join the military. Right, right. If anything, probably even more like he was happy that I yeah. <laughs> got a job and that, had yeah. a job yeah. <laughs> and didn't have to pay my for My parents were very similar. <laughs> right. They were like, you know, they had, my dad went to the army for two years, 11th Airborne, which was disbanded because they were like a ragtag band of misfits. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> But it was because he had a judge that said, you could go to the army or go to the <laughs> go jail. To jail. And he yeah. goes, I'll opt for A. You Pretty know? easy option there. <laughs> there. Uh, smart move. On right, his part. smart move. Yeah. Um, and so we started training together. I started reading every book I could find. Mostly, you know, the even the Dick Marchinko books, but yeah. also the, yeah. you know, uh, Ghost of Green Faces and other sure. the Vietnam yeah. era books. And obviously started becoming gradually more fascinated mm-hmm. with the culture, the mindset, that high performance team anatomy, so to speak. Nice. And so... That coupled with the fact that I was really bored at my entry-level financial analyst position, <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> as why. you can imagine, imagine that. <laughs> yeah. over time, uh, that 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 mindset shift was, you know, this is something I need. So, to was do. it that you got interested in the military, or that you began to f- look at yourself and say, "Hey, this is something I can actually do"? It wasn't the military it was in general. Military. This was it was the, the SEAL teams. Yeah, same thing with yeah, me. I became it was, fascinated. It was with, the only thing on my list. Yeah, it, it was wasn't the like only thing. if I don't make it in the SEALs, I'll go in the Marine Corps. And yeah. I was just like, if Correct. I don't do that, I'll either die because they killed me right. in training, or I guess exactly something else. Yeah, who knows? It was, I, I don't want to look at that. What else? I wanted to choose the most elite path that the military had to had to offer. And you know, my buddy was going in. It's kind of cool to have a, a swim buddy going yeah. in, and so. We, uh, we started training heavily together, and then, you know, one day I just, you know, flipped the switch, quit my job. My buddy and I moved up to Crested Butte, Colorado, where nice. we uh, trained for an additional four months for about five hours a day at 10,000 feet mm-hmm. altitude, and then uh, joined the Navy, and we both, you know, went through. We, we actually— You, you both know, enlisted? And we enlisted, yeah. yeah. Uh, we had our officer packages ready to go, and eventually, you know, we said, you know what? Screw it. Yeah. Let's uh, let's enlist. Faster path to buds. I and this was still pre nine eleven. This is pre nine eleven, okay. and this is also back when you had to choose a rate. So right. I chose the shortest A school that was in San Diego, which was Sonar Technician. <laughs> Not good for you. It was you, four yeah. weeks. I slept right. through the whole thing and was honor man. <laughs> 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 so it, can, it shows you the rigors of that course. Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a little scary. Um, and so, literally a couple months into being in the Navy, I was checked into buds. Right on. So, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty rough. Usually, it takes a little bit longer. But that's yeah. because of the A school. I, that was right? by design and, and the path that I went. Yeah, and nowadays, Bud's Prep can really stall people. If you Right. Know, we can, didn't have formal Bud's Prep no back then. There were some then. informal things at boot camp, but there yeah. wasn't the formal Bud's Prep. Right. So what, what what class were you in? What year? 235. 235. Yeah. So okay. it was an interesting journey because we learned very early on about you know the pain of loss and sacrifice um, and what it was going to It was almost foreshadowing to Mm -hmm. the post 9-11 reality we Mm -hmm. live in. But our class leader, John Scott, actually died during Hell Week. I remember that. Yeah. Was he the one who died of a heart attack or was it? Yeah, we were. It was Thursday night of Hell Week. We were. No, we were doing Caterpillar races in the pool. And for those who don't know what Caterpillar races are, it's (laughs) a... It's not as cheeky and fun as it sounds. It's <laughs> you and your uh, five or six person boat crew are swimming on your backs with your legs wrapped around each other's waist. Right. So even fresh, that's it's a fun. hard ex- <laughs> uh, exercise to execute successfully. And this is Thursday of Hell This is Thursday of Hell Week. So okay. it was, that wasn't what happened, but uh, I believe he had a pre-existing heart condition right. that somehow didn't pop when screening medically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So long story short, and sparing details, his, his heart, he had a massive heart failure. In the pool? Drowned in the pool. Oh, yeah. good God. Okay, but it was uh, it was it was interesting because um, when they were did they did they um, call training or did they just basically pull them out and they training we, you know training on? we were over at um, 
uh, NAB, Naval mm-hmm. Amphibious Base. They brought us back across the street. Uh, we put us in the classroom for a couple hours while they're we're, so obviously, we knew what, something was bad. We yeah. didn't at t- that time did not know he was he had passed. Mm-hmm. So a couple hours went by, and we were approaching you know uh, Friday morning, mm-hmm. and uh, they came in and you know pronounced him dead, and put put Lieutenant Parado in charge. Wow. It was a very short conversation, right. very candid, and then they called training. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> which was kind of a, not to, to lighten it's the mood a, a little bit. It was, itself, it was right? a bittersweet ending in It was yeah. a bittersweet moment because yeah. we did we were not formally secured on the Friday afternoon, right, so the right. instructors beat the hell out of us. I'm sure. For the, first, the rest you, of first phase. You owe us, I'm sure. Yeah, you owe us a day. You owe us a day. And yeah. so they took the next six weeks to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to pay, to, off that to pay day. that day. <laughs> no kidding. How many guys in your class? What were the stats? Uh, we started with... Uh, a little over 200, mm-hmm. 23 of the original graduated. Okay. We had a couple filter in during SQT, mm-hmm. but 23 of the original. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What year was that? That was 2000. 2000, okay. Yeah, yeah. So then 9-11 happens. Where, where were you at uh, serving <laughs> when 9-11 happened? Well, we were, I was literally, uh, I had a week downtime between BUDS and SQT. Right. So I was visiting a buddy up at UCLA, um, and we woke up Saturday morning or whatever whatever day of the week it was, yeah, I, I don't forget. remember. Yeah. And, you Boom. know, it was all over the news and... Went back. We checked in, uh, you know, a little bit early. And you um, still did SQT though, right? SQT? Yeah, they didn't. They did not accelerate, you know, they training did. by any means. See, we had yeah. already. And, know, and back then, SQT was at the team level, not at buds. Nowadays, it's at no, buds. it was it at was buds. At buds yeah. then, but not okay. consolidated the, the way it is now. Okay. You still graduated from buds. Got your tried. Got your tried. Then you then, went to SQT. Then you go to SQT. I see. Uh, excuse me. No, you graduated from buds. You go to SQT, but you know we didn't do free fall school back then. I see. Yeah. Um, and it, but it was it was like it is now. But we were actually another. <laughs> Double-edged sword, bittersweet moment. We were the very first class to get our tridents when graduating from SQT. I see. Literally, the class before us, you get it at the team after you know doing your right, board. Right, right. That's what happened team. with me. So I grad- graduated, bud. I went buds. Went to SEAL Team Three. Yeah. When they had enough of us, they classed up in what they called STT. Yeah. SEAL right. Tactical Training. We went through that. Then we went back to the team. Right. And six months later, we had a board. Right. And we had the PQS. I mean, it was a nightmare. We're so glad I didn't have to do that. <laughs> we were like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys had it But easy. the problem was that we was shut bad. up with our tridents. Yeah, so that, that's true. That's the problem. Let's just say the guys that were there before us weren't too keen on that. <laughs> I'm sure they were not. That's not that hazing. So what team be. were you at then? Team five. Oh, you were team five. Yeah. Okay. And so yeah, rough we and can tumble get, team five, you know. Well, that, we, can, we can get into this later, but since we're talking about unbeatable mind, but from my perception, one of the people... I admire the most from that unbeatable mind mindset is David Goggins, who oh, yeah. was in my class. He was at five. And we went to five together. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. Goggins is insane. We were in the same boat crew. Talk about a focus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I always, like, I've actually never met Goggins. I'm surprised our, our paths haven't crossed. Yeah. We need to get him he's on a, this podcast. You do. He's a fascinating individual. Yeah, he's, and he, he just doesn't experience pain the way other people do, or he, you know, he was able to shut it off really early and just keep yeah. moving. You know? He's not, he's not a people person per se. Yeah. Yeah. And he'll tell you that. <laughs> right. But he's, he's so, once he puts his mind to something, nothing and nobody will deter him right, right. from achieving that goal. Right. Like breaking the world pull-up record on the Today well, Show. That, I was or... just going to say, that's for, you know, to, to do pull-ups for what, 24 hours straight? Is that what hours. it was? And how many do you, like 14,000? Yeah, something like that. Well, he, he tore all the ligaments in his, in his right arm the first time around. And then healed, came back like literally two months later and broke the record. Oh, no kidding. So, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that Well, story. he still did like hundreds of pull-ups after tearing all the ligaments in his arm. <laughs> but his, do you know his story? I don't know if you want to get off on this tangent. I, I his, don't know. Do you know his story from, from he was how he transitioned? right? Or something well, before it, he got his into entire it. story is pretty fascinating since we're yeah, focusing let's talk on about the unbeatable mind. <laughs> right. Not just some 
average white guy Joe, like right. me. But uh, <laughs> he he was uh, in the Air Force, I think an attack P or oh, no combat kidding. controller. And but he and he had been a football player, big dude. You, you know, he was about mm-hmm. 240 pounds. Yeah. He went to the detailers big like, guy. hey, I want to do a lap transfer to the Navy to go to Butts. And they're like, you know, Roger that. But just he's an enlisted guy or an officer. Enlisted guy. Okay. And then, but they gave him some advice. You're you're pretty big. You might want to lean down significantly. Mm-hmm. So he said, Roger that. Came back literally two months later. Uh, I think 35 or 40 pounds lighter. Wow. And super fit. Not unhealthily light. He didn't just right. starve himself, but right. he lost all that weight. He did a lap transfer and then filtered into my buds class. And so we went through buds. He was in my boat crew in Hell Week, which was a fascinating experience. <laughs> <laughs> a good motivator, um, almost too good. And then we went to five, and then we all went through our workups and we deployed to Iraq. He deployed, I think, to PACOM. Then we all came back, and during professional development pro dev, uh, he opted to go to ranger school. So I don't remember what the process is for doing mm-hmm. those types of cross yeah. trainings, but he went to ranger school, came back 20 pounds even lighter. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what they do to people at ranger school, but he also now wanted to be an ultra marathon runner. <laughs> in a dish, because being a seal wasn't enough. It's not enough. It's not <laughs> enough. So this David's unbeatable mind sits down at his laptop. And what does he do? He starts at the top. He Googles hardest ultra marathons in the world. Right. <laughs> it was so in the Badlands. The Badwater comes up. The Badwater. It's a 135-mile race through Death Valley. Right, to the top of Mount Whitney. Yeah, yeah. Not <laughs> fun. And so he calls him up. That was his first race. Well, really? no, it's... it's <laughs> <laughs> so he calls him up and he says, I want to sign up. There's a race coming in six months. They're like, <laughs> who are you? Like, the, mo- the world's most elite marathon runners do this race. Right. And he's like, well, David Goggins, team guy. They're <laughs> like, okay, David Goggins, uh, you know, what was your last time on 100? He's like, well, I've never run a marathon before. They're like, you've never run a marathon, and you want to sign up for the Badwater. So more or less, he got laughed off the phone. He said they are like, gave him the requirements. You need to do, you know, two qualifying times and two mm-hmm. ultras, and those qualifying times then can possibly get you into this race mm-hmm. or one of our races. Right. So ironically, two days later, there was a race called the San Diego 24. Mm-hmm. It's a 24-hour uh, run, you know, around a one-mile loop. <laughs> no way. And I, I think the, the goal is to, to run, you know, 100 miles in a certain amount of time mm-hmm. uh, within that 24 hours. And so two, so two days later, zero training, he goes and he runs and about, uh, he runs it at about, I think, mile 75. He was experiencing massive kidney failure. He'd fractured most of the bones in, Good his, God. in his feet. So he quit. No, I'm kidding. So he, his <laughs> wife told him to quit. He did not. He said, no, quit. screw that. He, Broken then he ran, bones. Then he basically ran another marathon, finished, and then went straight to the hospital. <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah, had, you know, he was, it was very was serious, severe, rad, serious, yeah. serious yeah. stuff going on. And, but he, you know, that, that time qualified him to get into the hurt, which is okay. in Hawaii, another mm-hmm. horrendous ultra marathon that's uh, on a trail and you gain and lose thousands of feet of altitude through that run. No kidding. So he did the hurt, did very well, was pissed that he didn't win. <laughs> so now that he's a two-time ultra guy right. um, against, you know, the world's most elite runners, like three or 400 of them. And those times qualified him for the bad water. And, is, and that's, that's, incredible. that's the story. Yeah, and that's he's been cool. doing it ever since. And it's really cool because a lot of what he does is to raise awareness for the various SEAL right. foundations yeah, yeah. and raising money. for. Now, the, he's the not on active duty anymore, is he? No, no, he's retired. Do you keep in touch with him? Yeah, yeah. I was just right. uh, talking to him the other day. We're going to do a podcast with him too. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's a great example of a team guy with an unbeatable mind. Yes. Uh, no, I would say most team guys have that kind of mindset. Yeah, you need that to get through buds, you sure. know, unless they kind of lose it, right? Yeah. 
that's possible. I've seen that happen. So you were at Team 5. You went to Iraq. Um, where'd you serve over there? What, what time frame? Uh, we were actually the first task unit uh, from, from any of the teams uh, to go in spring of 03. Oh, three. So we went yeah. over there March 03, literally uh, right after you know the city fell. Mm-hmm. And so we were the first SEALs really doing the initial uh, capture or kill DA types of raids over right. there. We were working closely with our agency mm-hmm. partners. Were you staging out of Baghdad? Or we were, were, yeah, we yeah. were out of uh, one of the palaces at, right. near the Baghdad airport. We sure. had within the palace grounds, we had a, a compound. It was called Camp uh, Ginny Posey. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I'm sure. yeah, I'm sure you have. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that was the first, we were the first people to set that camp up and operated out of there. The op tempo back then was super high, but. literally just doing DAs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you're going after the deck of cards? Deck of cards, blacklist, Black, whoever, yeah. whoever our agency partners would bring to us. Right. A lot of it, of course, was from ground intelligence, last minute ground intelligence. Um, that they would and this is at a period before we even thought about the insurgency. So this was still yes, pre-insurgency, post-invasion kind of cleanup, yes. pre-insurgency. Yes. So the IED threat hadn't really ramped up yet. It was during that deployment it started to. It started to. Right? And I remember that because we were initially using vehicles as insert platforms because right. a lot of the times... Our targets were anywhere from five minutes to 45 minutes away. Right. You know, in and around. You didn't have hardened Humvees at the time? No, we actually uh, intentionally unhardened them. We took the doors off. They weren't up armored. We took the roofs off because, and that was, that was our way to adapt to our surrounding conditions. It was uh, too difficult getting in and out with all that gear, you know, and using vehicles as insert platforms. We'd roll up to a house, jump off with ladders, jump over the wall. Most people listening wouldn't know that up until then, SEALs really didn't use vehicles. For no, insertion correct. or extraction, we walked or used boats or right. submarines or helicopters. It was a, it was or, a, the newest airplanes. form of our existence in an urban environment. Right yeah. now, we did have the fast attack vehicles, <laughs> yeah. right, which were as Team Three, and then they kind of, um, you know, carved them out for the for the, all the West Coast. So the right. Fabs were in the first Gulf War. Yeah, and uh, yeah. did they, they? I think they brought the Fabs over there. They were pretty useless at that. Point. We used for them the on, in, for the invasion, <laughs> right? But that was it. Really. Yeah, they weren't that helpful then. We actually right. used them on our very first mission, literally. It's kind of funny because we weren't even in Iraq yet where we got tasked with our first uh, our first DA. So mm-hmm. it was we were at still staged at Ali Asalim Air Base in Kuwait and intel came down that retreating Iraqi forces had taken control of the Mercurian Dam, if I'm mm-hmm. saying that correctly. Sure. It was a big hydroelectric power plant and dam in uh, central Iraq. Mm-hmm. And so Was this when when Har- was Harwood running the show over there or who was the yeah, well, JSOC our, commander? Well, I'm Harwood, I believe. I think it was Harwood. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jamie Cartwright, our CO, yeah. was was running the show for us. For you guys, yeah. yeah or XO, excuse me. And so intelligence said that the the, you know, the forces that had taken over the dam were going to destroy the dam, blow the dam, causing mass power, electrical outages, mm-hmm. flooding the areas below, kind of trying to slow the American advance mm-hmm. through that area. Yeah. And so we were tasked with the mission to fly all the way up there and CH-47 you know, uh, helicopters uh, in conjunction with uh, the Polish Grom, you know, mm-hmm. the Polish yeah. special ops yeah. units. They were going to be acting as a blocking force and also hitting some of the s- smaller structures around the hydroelectric power plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, my platoon was acting as the primary assault force, mm-hmm. literally fast roping right onto the X. Cool. And so that was our very first. <laughs> <your> first off, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all of us, none of us had been to any type of combat before because you know, it's yes, been peace time. all new, yeah. Point, so. yeah. How was but that, to, to how that, was point, that we experience used, We used those vehicles, uh, our, our mobility team yeah. used those just as for patrolling. How did that op go for your first combat op? How did that go? It was a relatively soft target. So yeah, it went... Yeah basically seamlessly mm-hmm. um, we took control of it uh, as per the mission profile we also held the target for three days mm-hmm. until conventional forces arrived but right. uh, it was it was smooth it was well executed but it was also in a way it was good did that you it meet was resistance soft or not? 
Uh, a little bit, but, but not much. It was, yeah. The resistance lasted for about two seconds. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Right>. Screw that. <laughs> this is not good. These guys look like they knew what they're doing. You know, yeah. point your AK, throw it away. Right. <laughs> so it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was smooth. Interesting. Later, later missions on, on that uh, deployment were different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, this just popped in my head. It's a little bit of a deviation, so we'll come back to your story. But um, when I was over in Baghdad, the Grom was, of course, there, and they had women. On their team, did you have? Did you uh, no, not work with, alongside women? In the I, I knew that they did, and they used them like some of our tier one assets yeah. do. But uh, we were just working with uh, some of their okay. primary. Now, what do you think about the, uh, women making it through SEAL training? Uh, it's I kind guess, of in the news recently because they it, had it's the, been one, in the, news the one recently. Girl I've been recently dropped. I've been out asked to comment on so it, which as. I've <laughs> declined to comment, but uh, not because of you yeah. know, of my perception of you it. Mean I know publicly that, on TV or something like that. What's or? that? You mean publicly on the? On yeah, the, I've I've just you know I've done some news stuff for other yeah, things before, yeah, so yeah. if your name's in there, they might. It's a hot. It's a hot potato for the community. So. <laughs> yeah, hence me not commenting. <laughs> I haven't commented on the public either. I mean, I just think it's fascinating subject, but um. The official line is, of course, you know, welcome them, but the standards won't drop, and yeah. we hope so that we'll there'll see. be we hope that there'll be some you know some teammates, female teammates. Well, just there. like just like the Grom or our tier one assets do. I mean, they're a valuable asset Absolutely. to the community, depending on you know what whatever capacity. Well, they already serving. are. A lot of people yeah. don't realize that there's right. there's tons of women in the SEAL teams. They're just not Navy SEALs. Right. They're Intel. They're admin. They're yeah. communications. You know, whatever. Right. EOD, even I think. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. They do do a valuable job. That's for sure. This podcast episode is brought to you by Organifi. Now, we all know that green juice is good for us, but juicing is a pain. It costs a fortune and it's super time-consuming. At least that's my story. Uh, I don't juice. So that's why I opt for Organifi green juice as an alternative because it's super easy, super tasty. It's an organic superfood green juice powder. Just add it to your water and stir it up. It dissolves almost immediately. Drink it, and it will help sustain your energy throughout the day. It'll reduce stress over time. And best part is it really tastes good. So check it out. To get your micronutrients from a superfood green juice, use Organifi. I think stuff is great. Go to Organifi.com, and these guys are super generous. I know the founder, and they have offered a 20% discount to you on your order. So go to Organifi.com, use the code unbeatable at checkout and get 20% off your order. And uh, that link is also listed below in the show notes to this episode. Organifi.com. Okay, so back to, so that was your, did you do another mission or another tour after that comet mission? Yeah, another one in Iraq and then uh, one in Africa. Okay. Then, yeah. So you had three rotations yeah. together, yeah. all together? Yeah. And why did you get out? So it, it's, it's two things. And I'll preface this by saying I always, I think we always do. We always regret, you know, leaving the brotherhood, leaving yeah, the teams. Sure. I, I serve in different capacity now. I, I, uh, my, let me back up. My, my plan had never been to be a career SEAL. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to kind of see how it went. Keep in mind it was peacetime when I went in. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty busy, you know, when I was in. And, you know, obviously if we had a crystal ball, mm-hmm. I mean, none of us could even fathom how long these conflicts that's could insane. have possibly gone still on. going on at, at any given day you could have asked anybody back then saying this is going to end any second that's why we, that we wanted to deploy 2001 so and we're, we're heading into 2018 it's, and there's no, there's no sign of any well any i remember change. back then because it was it was that focused sense of urgency like we got to deploy we got to deploy because this right. is all going to be over soon right. well here we are <laughs> well the first goal that happened to me in the first goal yeah. we're like hey we're jacking up we're getting right. ready to go and we we're literally packing our pellets and then they said sorry <laughs> right. it's over we're right like, Shucks. That's what, yeah, yeah. That, that was our mindset back then too. But um, so I wanted to stick to my plan, 
go to grad school, get back into business. Wasn't mm-hmm. sure in, in mm-hmm. what capacity that was going to be. I, right. I figured I would go back into finance. But, um, you know, I, I continue to serve. I'm on the executive board of the SEAL Family Foundation. You didn't stay in the reserves? No, okay. no. Uh, it's funny because most of the guys that got out around the time I did who did stay in the reserves were back in a platoon inside six months. Right. Yeah, yeah. They got sucked so, back in, yeah. But I'm on the board of the SEAL Family Foundation, mm-hmm. so you know I've helped raise millions of dollars for the nice. families over mm-hmm. the past uh, five years, um, and I mentor you know, mm-hmm. guys into the program. So that's that's my you know, sure. continued service back. and sure. how I give back. But yeah, I wanted to go back into business, and mm-hmm. so. I went so to you went to USD right for yes. your MBA? Yeah. yeah. Did it, you do the MBA it, it or an MSEL or? It, it was a combined program uh, okay. for MBA and MSRE, which is a Master Real of estate. Science in Real Estate. It was okay. a new program because I also had I also wanted to. My finance focus after undergrad was it was in real estate finance investment. Mm. So I uh, and my my dad's been in the real estate. Didn't you finance. launch uh, new condos online out of business school or come yes. up with a concept? Yeah. There? So we uh, initially I thought maybe I wanted to be a real estate developer, and then mm-hmm. we started seeing you know potential uh, murmurings of an economic collapse mm-hmm. that we were mm-hmm. in a bubble. We're, we're not in a bubble. This is, this <laughs> is, gonna, is when? This is keep going. 2006, 2007? 2007, yeah. yeah. And um, even our economics professor was just like, no, this is, this is going to, we're going to double dip recession. This is all going to end soon. And, huh. you know, us young, excited entrepreneurs were like, oh, whatever. <laughs> but, but that being said, I learned so much about real estate development uh, during some of that program that I felt that that wasn't a fit for me. So we mm-hmm. went the technology route and built mm-hmm. basically an early version of truly a Zillow, mm-hmm. Homes.com, those types of sites. So. Mm-hmm. Specifically for condos, new condos, right? Attached housing, condos, Attached townhomes all, all over the world. Yeah. All right. And so you launched, how did that, how did that first entrepreneurial endeavor go? Great. It, uh, you know, that back then we were, you know, faking it till we make it. Of course, we, yeah. we, didn't know, we didn't know what we didn't I'm know. I'm still doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Same here. <laughs> we'll get into all that later, but uh, I'm just doing it in a different capacity now. Right. But yeah, we, we went out and we raised uh, friends and family around the money, just to, like 20 grand to, mm-hmm. to build the site and get some momentum. Uh, it was just three of us. So we were wearing every possible entrepreneurial hat. You the can other imagine. guys, students here, fellow students? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very cliche, I know. But yeah. <laughs> the, the meet and grads way, way it goes. Yeah. yeah. And then we did, we got some momentum, developed some sales, and we did a Series A round uh, of about a million dollars through Angel Capital. Mm-hmm. And then, you know finance the business that way. Yeah. And so you, it, was it focused on buyers or renters? It was focused. It was basically a, a, a lead generation search engine, just like a Trulia or a okay. Zillow yeah, yeah. or a homes.com. So our clients were real estate developers, home builders, or mm-hmm. the marketing media mm-hmm. firms that represent them that are buying. Yeah. So pe- come, people would come search what's available in their area and right. put in their So our users or, are people looking yeah. for a home or right. Clients were people selling homes. Yeah, yeah, easy day. So, and it was yeah, it was it was easy day. We were back then before the crash. I mean, technology, we were in a bubble. Technology <laughs> wasn't easy back then. I mean, you probably technology wasn't easy, but the market was easy because people were throwing all kinds of marketing dollars at real estate. Right. It didn't matter what it was. I couldn't believe we even got our first clients. <laughs> the website was just atrocious. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, it's, I look back on it now. You're always going to think that yeah. your first stab at something like that. Interesting. And then you know, then the economy crashed. You know, and uh, we started seeing. Uh, you know, the near future of what was, you know, and the severity of what was going to happen. And usually in any type of economic downturn, especially in the housing market, the first budget to be cut is going to be marketing, Mm -hmm. which is actually totally the wrong strategy. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who survive through downturns are ones who double down, they double down. And, and that's why a lot of home builders are out of business. You know, a lot of um, the buildings got taken back by banks, what, you know, all those things. But we, so we decided to diversify ourselves uh, amidst the, the fear and uncertainty mm-hmm. of, of what was going on. 
And uh, like we say in the military, the VUCA environments, the yeah, volatile, right. uncertain, complex, ambiguous. Right. And so what we did was we decided to, we learned so much about digital marketing and media that we decided to uh, start a, a small digital marketing agency right. just as an offshoot and an alternative revenue stream right. to the first company. So we borrowed $100,000 from that business to start the new business. We gave those shareholders equal common stock shares in the new company. First company started shrinking, and that company took off, doubled in size every single year. Nice. Yeah, and I just sold my shares in it in August. So that was Internet Marketing Inc. I remember yeah, you telling me that's right yeah. around the time I met you. You were yeah. so excited because you got that domain name and yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It uh, and, and we were very blessed. I mean, we learned learned a lot through mm -hmm. sex, successes, mostly failures. Yeah, and uh, you know, we hit the Inc. 500 list of fastest growing companies every year for about seven mm -hmm. years in a row. But we also learned about. The, the dangers and nuances of rapid growth and doing success. it smartly, yeah, right, not right. intelligently. So how's that company doing now? What's the status? A company's doing great. Uh, I sold my shares in August, uh, sold my own. half uh, mm -hmm. back to the company to, to pursue uh, mm -hmm. some other things. Right, right. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. So that brings me to leadership, right? A, pa a, a passionate subject for me as well. Yeah. Like I love leadership. I actually was at USD myself getting my right. doctorate in leadership okay. when I was mobilized to go to Iraq in yeah. 04. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you were over there in 04. Yeah. I think, I think probably so. not. Were you? No, I was. Because uh, you were there in 03 and back, then you yeah, would have yeah, been yeah. over there probably yeah. in 05 yeah. or so. So I was over there in 04. And while I was there, you know, I had all of my coursework done. And I was basically dusting off my dissertation and putting the finishing touches on the, the project. And um, while I was there, I decided, you know, I had like this epiphany. I said, there's no way I'm going to do this. I'm not interested in academics. And I really need to go home and focus on my business and my family. Yeah. And so. I think it's the only thing I've ever quit in my life. And I still now, it's still on my bucket list to go finish my damn PhD. You didn't quit. It was a transition. That's right. I transitioned out of it. I never used that word. My why change. So when yeah. your why changes, it's not a quit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So. It's just a shift. That's right. It's a shift. So, uh, and also the other thing, Brent, you can probably appreciate this, is that none of the leadership professors in the academic world, I shouldn't say none, but very few of them actually know anything about leading. Right. And they've never led someone like in combat. Right. So I said, you know, I'm going to go teach people how to become better people, how to develop trust, you know, how to maintain yep. control and develop resiliency. And, that, and that's what SILFIT is. So yep. SILFIT, at its core, people think it's a fitness company. No, yep. it's a leadership character yep. development yep. company. Right. You know, and, yep. that's, and that's where Unbelievable Mind came from. So very cool. So you started Taking Point and you want to develop leadership and you're working with corporate clients now. And how's, yeah. that, how's that looking? It's kind of a funny transition about <coughs> five years ago in... December 2012, I had just started writing uh, weekly columns for Forbes and for mm -hmm. Inc.com, mm -hmm. and but not about marketing, about leadership. Mm -hmm. And the column was called "From the Battlefield to the Boardroom," and mm -hmm. you know I write every week. I still do. I think Basu has done some articles for that, or is yeah. that your Jeff column? Boss has and okay. some other guys. Um, I don't know if they do regular columns. Yeah, but I've had this one, these columns for years now. Cool. But one Saturday morning, I was sitting with my wife, drinking coffee, open my laptop, check my email, and. I got an email from the president of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Asia Pacific. Mm -hmm. So he's now one of my best friends or godparents yes. to each other's children. But he's just a very energetic, very successful to the borderline prodigy level mm -hmm. uh, in banking. Australian mm -hmm. guy. He's only 46 today. Nice. And he's one of the top four executives in the entire global company. But he's also obsessed with special operations culture mm -hmm. and yeah. how it applies you know, in the corporate right, world, right. the business world. He's super fit. Mm -hmm. Does a lot of CrossFit and things like that. And... 
he emailed me saying I read your article. It was actually the first article I'd ever written. Read your article, loved the concepts. I would love to have you come speak at our Global Leadership Conference. Nice. Didn't ask if I was a speaker. <laughs> didn't ask if I had a website or videos or anything. I'm glad because I didn't have any of that. Yeah, right. Because um, I was running this other business. Uh, as the entrepreneurs we are, of course, I said, oh, Sure. Absolutely. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, what's the course. date? <laughs> Which is like four weeks away. We don't learn to say no very yeah, easily. <laughs> I turned to my wife. I was like, Oh, crap. <laughs> I, just, I just have sort of said yes to something that I have no idea how to do. <laughs> Going back to our fake it till we make it. Right. And went out, you know, developed the presentation, of course, just like you would. I trained and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed mm -hmm. you know, nice. hours a day, you know, to get you know, to practice because I'd never really done that before. Right. And it's, you know, your first time doing something like that is it's sketchy. To say it's nerve wracking <laughs> is uh, Most people would rather jump out of a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. While <laughs> burning alive. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I did it and it was a packed schedule of evening keynotes and workshops during the day, all right. about, you know, leadership. They also wanted to focus on uh, culture transformation. This was still pretty oh, so new. It wasn't me. just a single talk. I mean, no, you had it was to a, a bunch of workshops. It was, yeah. I, looking back, I should no have charged way more. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't know it was a hundred thousand dollars at least. <laughs> yeah. I didn't charge anywhere near that. <laughs> But it was, you know, it was a great brand opportunity. It was sure, the first of course, yeah. global brand that I ever worked with in that capacity. And the, the topics were not just around leadership, but also around culture transformation and how to navigate that type of change because they were still only a few years into their merger mm -hmm. between Bank of America and Merrill Lynch, mm -hmm. two very different cultures, right. not just, you know, geographical uh, cultures, mm -hmm. differences because they're a global company, but corporate cultures. Right. And so those were, that was kind of the fundamentals of what we were talking about in the workshops and facilitated discussions. Long story short, it went really well. Mm -hmm. And they brought me, they bring me back every year to do Sydney, Singapore and Hong Kong nice. and London now. And that's where I was last mm -hmm. week. And so I leveraged that. I loved doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I realized I had a passion for it and an mm -hmm. affinity for it. And uh, so I leveraged that opportunity to get other opportunities mm -hmm. and more and more. So I've been doubling the frequency of speaking and consulting every year since then, which of course also was taking me away from my other business. Sure. So from right. a executive and fiduciary responsibility standpoint, you know, it was time for me to pursue this passion and, you know, let the other leaders mm -hmm. in that organization, you know, take the reins and right. uh, mm -hmm. do what they need to do while mm -hmm. I, you know, go do this. Right. Right. Yeah. So what's the, the overarching theme I'm taking, I, I understand what taking point yeah. is, but explain it for the audience, what taking point means. And like, if you were to boil down or maybe the way we look at this is you've got a book coming out by that name, taking point yeah. in February, and you probably have like a series of principles. So you want to uh, yeah. talk about some of those? Sure. Sure. And, and, and you and I are very aligned on our philosophies sure. around these principles as they apply to someone's personal life, their professional life, or an organization or a team right. as a whole. Right. Um, but the book is not just a, it's not. A, a, just a leadership book. It's a prescriptive model with 10 specific principles. The mm -hmm. subtitle is 10 principles for leading through change. Right, so as you know, today, so, now more sort than of ever, relevant these days. Yeah. Today, now more than ever, right. any organization of any size across the globe is facing the need for almost constant transformation. Right. Think about it from a military context right. in this post nine 11 reality we're in the military, not just the SEAL teams, but the military as a whole had to transition from being, we went into these conflicts as what you might think of as a hierarchical, top-down, slow-moving yeah. 20th century static organization. 20th century direct exactly. action force. Yeah. And we had to transition not just our systems and processes, but our culture. I mean, we're right. you can imagine how hard that is in the military, of course, mm -hmm. as you know, but transition our mindset and our culture to think differently, to become right. a modern 21st century organization, right. to right. break down the vertical silos, the mm -hmm. horizontal silos that uh, impede communication mm -hmm. flow, impede information sharing, because we had to move at the speed of war to fight a more decentralized enemy. Mm -hmm. And to fight a decentralized enemy, we had to decentralize our controls as well. Right. Right. And so 
that's kind of the foundation of what this is, is applied to business. So the principles having to do with first understanding your existing organizational culture right. and does it even align with your strategy mm -hmm. and what you're trying to achieve and how do you audit that culture and leverage the positive aspects of the culture to, to meet specific uh, objectives mm -hmm. in this context, objectives for transforming the business to become something better, whatever that is, right. you know, the next principle is about uh, trust, learning how to measure and improve trust, right. you know, within internally and externally within an organization. And how do you do that? Or how do you recommend that? There's a lot of tools to do it, but a lot of it is first also kind of doing a diagnostic analysis mm -hmm. on the existing levels of mm -hmm. trust. Mm -hmm. And you can see that through behaviors. You can see that through even things like surveys, mm -hmm. but you could just see it by other things. Uh, is there real collaboration within the organization mm -hmm. or is it a fake thing that we just talk about? Mm -hmm. Or are there structures that impede true collaboration? Right. Are we sharing information across departments, across mm -hmm. divisions? Uh, or is everybody kind of in their bunker, mm -hmm. in, in mm -hmm. their silo, protecting themselves as opposed to pursuing Ex something bigger than themselves, yeah. the ultimate mission, so right. to speak. Risking their comfort zone for the team. Exactly. And the mission. Yeah. And, and pushing themselves outside their comfort zone. Right. Now, a lot of companies, their structures impede that because right. they don't reward that type of behavior. Mm -hmm. Senior leadership doesn't exhibit that behavior. Mm -hmm. And that goes into the, another principle about accountability. Right. S same thing, but, you know, just, you know, right. a different word is how accountable are we as an organization. Right. In the SEAL teams, I mean, accountability essentially starts on day one right. of training. Yeah. Uh, you know, are we you got to take extreme ownership. Yeah, you do. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Jocko, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Plug. And it's, uh, but, but again, it's in a lot of my favorite business books are about transitioning your culture to be one that's founded on the principle of accountability mm -hmm. and yeah. not just that is a fun buzzword, but what are the measurable financial returns when you focus not just on a set of financials, but improving accountability mm -hmm. and, and getting mm -hmm. the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus mm -hmm. and building that high performance team, just like mm -hmm. we do, mm -hmm. just like we spend months and millions of dollars in the SEAL teams. Right. So now, I assume you employed these principles, whether you knew it or not at internet marketing Inc. I sometimes did it well and I sometimes did it poorly. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and, and I, I the did, reason I asked yeah. that with, kind of cheekily is that, you know, I'm, I'm a great trainer and I'm, you know, my books have been well received, yeah, but yeah, some of the principles I need to like, Look back at my own organization. Yeah. Oh, my wife throws this <laughs> stuff like in my face all down the time. <laughs> She's like, "You're not controlling your emotions. You're not being accountable. <laughs> Where's the trust?" Right. Like, hey, exactly. Don't worry about back it. Back down. <laughs> I'm teaching other people how to do this stuff. I'll but no, it. it's a good question because, and I'm very um, transparent about this in the book. A lot of my quote unquote wisdom comes from a series of pretty yeah. costly mistakes, as right. you know, in business. Totally. Every mistake has a both hard and a soft, uh, hard and soft cost mm -hmm. every single time, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's hiring the wrong people mm -hmm. or aligning yourself with the wrong customer mm -hmm. or uh, building, letting you know, a culture just haphazardly come together as opposed mm -hmm. to designing that culture from right. day one. Uh, I got most of that stuff wrong and then had to go back and un, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> un it, you know, for the following years. But, uh, you know, so when I talk about it, I sound super smart, but uh, yeah, mostly yeah. it's just because I've screwed it up a lot. <laughs> That's interesting. So of the 10 principles, is there like a, like a dominant one or like a first premise kind of one the, that, that uh, must precede the all ones those? that I, the, the book in the, in the, the part two is about part one is about uh, building a change culture. Mm -hmm. Part two is about preparing for the change battle. And there's things in there about communicating the vision consistently mm -hmm. and regularly throughout the process and engaging everybody in the, in the organization to help push the mission forward. But part three is really more about uh, winning the change fight. So mm -hmm. what is the long-term part? Mm -hmm. You know, how, and these, 
even though the principles are outlined sort of in a chronological order, mm -hmm. they're not necessarily meant to be followed in that right. way. Right. Because chapter 9 and 10, in my opinion, are the most important. They're about discipline and resiliency. Nice. Now, of course, there has to be discipline at the beginning mm -hmm. <laughs> and throughout an organization, mm -hmm. whether they're trying to transform or just achieve mm -hmm. certain business objectives. Mm -hmm. But the ones that will, because all of my research and studies and experiences in my own companies, they're literally 70% of most organizational change efforts fail mm -hmm. due to either initial things where the culture doesn't align with the strategy, low levels of trust, accountability, or you can gain some significant momentum. But then in the long haul, competing priorities seep in, other opportunities mm -hmm. come along, and you, even the senior leaders start to lose sight of the mm -hmm. mission and right. the vision of what they're trying to accomplish because they lack discipline. Mm -hmm. And they also lack resiliency because you know, change fatigue, just like battle fatigue, change fatigue sets in, you know, people get exhausted. Most of these efforts take twice as long and cost twice as much mm -hmm. as anybody initially anticipates. So you can imagine people start to lose heart. Even the early adopters who are sort of your transformation evangelists start to question, well, are we going to see this thing through to the end? Right. And then the naysayers who are telling you this isn't going to work. This is just, you know, yeah, yeah, we've seen this before. Mm -hmm. You know, they start being the I told you so. People. Another one of his airbrained ideas. And they're empowered. Yeah, another <laughs> one of them. Stupid ideas that <laughs> never got panned out. So, uh, yeah, and those people can be very influential people in the company sometimes. Mm -hmm. right. And so without discipline and without also simultaneously building a resilient organization, just like think of it in special operations, mm -hmm. we build resilient people because resilient teams need to be made up of resilient people right. who are they prepare for change. They're mm -hmm. ready for it. Mm -hmm. We anticipate it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, it's that difference between planning and preparation. Plans yeah. are great, but plans are going to change. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes no is, plans no plans five's first contact with the enemy. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> and so that's that's the whole philosophy behind, right. you know, in businesses, yeah, especially my, now. My experience from the SEALs, and it's to, to this day, I feel this way, that not only do we plan and anticipate change, but we actually eager and, eagerly embrace it. Yeah. Because that's where the lessons are. That's where the challenge is. And that's where the growth comes from. Yes. And anytime, you know, things get to the status quo for too long, the team guy gets a little itchy and right. twitchy. You know, yeah. like, oh, yeah. bring it on. Yeah, what's, we what's need happening? It. Yeah. Where's the change? Where's Boredom the challenge? Sets in. Boredom sets in. Yeah. <laughs> so getting that into an organization has got to be a real challenge, you know, for people who haven't been trained in the SEAL mindset. So yeah. how do you do that? Like, how do well, you I think I do it similar to the way that you do it through mm -hmm. Unbeatable Mind and SEAL Fit. And you're, you're transitioning mindsets. Right. Because a lot of organizations will, well, we, get, we need to train for these new things that we're going to do, the new processes, new systems. They don't train for mindset transformation. Right. They don't train for behavioral transformation. And mm -hmm. then even if they, those mindsets start to shift, they don't, oftentimes don't even reward those new behaviors. Right. And so that, that will become a temporary thing. Mm -hmm. So it's really, and that's all in part two, it's all about mindset transformation, mm -hmm. not just in the senior leaders, but mm -hmm. senior leaders first have to transform their mindset mm -hmm. uh, to uh, adopt the new vision and believe in the mission mm -hmm. before they can get anybody else to follow them into battle, so right. to speak. Right. So. And how do you recommend that mindset gets changed or transformed? I mean, what's, do you have specific ideas for, you know, besides, it, hey, this is the new vision and we're bought into it. Now let's believe it. I mean, what specific steps do you recommend to, it's, to it, train or to transform mindset? It's obviously initially, you know, senior leaders have to, to first understand what they're trying to accomplish and be totally aligned yes. in how to get there. Right. A lack of alignment will destroy, mm -hmm. well, frankly, the achievement of any goal in right. any organization. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen it, I've seen it in other companies. Mm -hmm. So when there's lack of alignment at the very top, 
a lot of bad things follow. You will not transition anybody's mindset because the leaders haven't transitioned theirs and they're not aligned in what the ultimate mission and vision are. Right. They haven't defined their why. They don't understand the true purpose behind what they're doing. It just mm-hmm. seems like the new flavor of the month, mm-hmm. we got to go in this direction. Mm-hmm. And some people are like, yeah, you know, sure, whether it's at the board level or C-level or you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. BP level, some people will be bought into that and start transitioning the way they think about the reality around them mm-hmm. and where they're headed and how to mm-hmm. get there. And others will say, we'll see how this goes. Right. Probably not going to yeah, work. Yeah. Yeah. But when that happens, it's very difficult to engage other potential evangelists within mm-hmm. the organization or change agents or whatever mm-hmm. we want to call them to adopt that new vision and, mm-hmm. and communicate it regularly and consistently throughout the organization. That's mm-hmm. how you transition mindsets. If you start with alignment at the top and you have you know the desired you, know, you can break it down. One of my favorite books about accountability also breaks these things down into four pillars. You have mm-hmm. the new vision with you have your existing results and your desired results. Mm-hmm. Desired results are what the new vision is trying to achieve. Right. Below that are the actions that people need to take to achieve those desired results. Mm-hmm. But then you get into the interesting part is below that is what are the, you know, what are the mindsets and beliefs that people need to embody and truly have authentically, not to just take, say they do, the to take the action to get the result. Right. And below that are well, what are the cultural experiences we're creating in the organization that help instill those beliefs? Right. And how often are we doing that? Right. And that's where mindset transformation starts to happen. But again, like anything else, it's got to start at the top. Right. And if you can't achieve that uh, mindset shift and alignment amongst everybody in senior leadership teams, typically, again, that goes. that's why most mm-hmm. of these types of efforts fail. And why a lot of businesses fail. That's why 90% yeah. of startups yeah. fail. Right. So, We all want to operate at peak performance and push past our barriers, find new boundaries, be the best that we can possibly be. Now, I've long been an advocate of natural training believing strongly that Mother Nature has provided all the tools that we need. But recently, a few new innovations have evolved my mindset in this area. One of these is the new NeuroStim device for physical performance enhancement called Halo. Now, Halo stimulates that area of your brain responsible for movement. And the company has demonstrated a positive neuroplastic effect leading to performance gains in both individuals and teams. It's very simple to use and comfortable. I'm using it now to enhance my physical training as well as my somatic movement skills. Think Tai Chi. So I'm excited to now introduce this to the Unbeatable Mind tribe. And the team at Halo is offering $125 off the sport model. So check out their website at haloneuro.com. That's H-A-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com. And use the code unbeatable mind one two five at checkout trust me on this one there are a few folks who already have the jump on you so go to haloneuro.com today and use the promo code unbeatable mind one two five so what is your why like what's your vision for the future and how you're going to impact the world well one of the uh one of the reasons that i you know sold my shares in my last company and have been really pursuing this passion is because I realized that uh, I'm very passionate about, and again, when I speak, what I write about, this is not about me getting up there and talking about how cool it is to be a team guy. You know, there's, we got plenty of that. Yes, there's, I like to motivate and inspire, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, someone from from a personal perspective or from a professional perspective, Mm -hmm. but it's really about, uh, it's about teaching and educating Mm -hmm people, you know, leaders, managers, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm talking about leaders and managers 
you know, from the top to bottom throughout mm -hmm. the entire organization right. and help them learn how to improve their leadership and management style, understand the differences between the disciplines of leadership and management, mm -hmm. two different things, mm -hmm. understand how to align culture with strategy, mm -hmm. understand how to improve trust and accountability, kind of take on sort of that, that seal fit mindset, that right. unbeatable mind mindset to not think about all the obstacles and barriers that are in their way, but have a more future thinking mindset, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and how are we going to get there? An opportunity, opportunistic mindset. Right. That's what I wrote an article uh, last week and another one today about resiliency and, you know, the pillars of resilient organizations. Mm -hmm. And some of them are those things. They, mm -hmm. you know, to your point earlier, they're well prepared for change. They embrace change. Mm -hmm. You know, they want it and, mm -hmm. and they have systems and structures of not top-down hierarchical mm -hmm. uh, mechanisms from a leadership standpoint, mm -hmm. but basically ecosystems and networks, peer right. networks of people and leadership is disseminated down the chain of command mm -hmm. more fluidly. And then of course they actually empower those people. We throw that word around mm -hmm. a lot. It's mm -hmm. not usually an authentic thing in companies, but because they also give them the resources to succeed. Right. So I'm very passionate about that. I'm also another part of my why is also to use the things I've done and things I've learned and some of the influence that I hopefully will continue to gain to, to give back. So the two two passions of mine under that why umbrella are Seal Family Foundation. Mm -hmm. That one specifically because I'm on the executive board. Nice. We raise you know uh, millions of dollars a year nice. uh, and disseminate it very quickly mm -hmm. uh, to uh, the families in need, mm -hmm. whether that be through you know, the families of you know some of our fallen mm -hmm. or injured brothers or scholarships or mm -hmm. you know, other types of family oriented programs. Nice. But then also uh, we're, my family is also the ambassador family for March of Dimes, okay. uh, which is um, one of the mean? oldest. March of Dimes is it's one of the oldest and largest charities that's focused on research around premature birth okay. and uh, healthy pregnancies. Okay. So it's funny we you know we've is learned this, how to use a three D scanner to build a heart, but we right. don't know what causes premature birth. Right. <laughs> are you on this because of an experience with it? Yes. Yeah, so, and it's funny because I'll give a keynote presentation and somebody will ask you know sometimes somebody will pull me aside well you know what, what was the hardest part of that or what's the toughest thing you've been through in your, mm -hmm. in your life, assuming that I'm going to tell them some horrid yeah, combat bud, bud story, story or, the, or, yeah. you know, or buds or hell week. It was actually the day we found out that our daughter had a birth defect. So mm -hmm. our three and a half year old daughter, Parker Rose, and it's a horrible process. First, you get a call from the fetal and genetics center, oh, good Lord. the call you don't want to get. Right. And they're like, you need to come in now. That's never a good thing. No, it's and not. so you go in, you check in, you wait in the waiting room around a bunch of other people who look devastated. Who are terrified, yeah. <laughs> Your wife's crying, I'm quivering. Right. And then oh, you go into a room and first you meet with a grievance counselor before mm. you even know what's going on. <laughs> so, which of course magnifies the, the, yes. the pain and fear of, uh, you know, so, you know, your unbeatable mindset is being challenged significantly. Right. Uh, you're getting beaten. It's, it's, yeah, it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Time, yeah. And wow. they tell you, well, your, your child, uh, you know, has some birth defects, you know, it could be paralysis. Your child could have passed away, brain damage, you know, whatever. Then you go and meet with the doctor and we found out what it was. It was something called gastroschisis. So most defects are because some part of the body has not closed or connected all the way. Right. So spina bifida, because the spine doesn't fuse. Mm -hmm. Brain damage, because the skull doesn't fuse. Hmm. Um, this is where her, her tummy hadn't formed all the way. So all of her intestines and half of her stomach were on the outside of her body. No kidding. Through the whole pregnancy. Good Lord. Yeah. So I, I actually touched on this story in, in the book about <laughs> resiliency. About She's actually, despite all the warriors yeah. I know, she's, she's the most resilient little kid I know. No kidding. And so she had, long story short, it was a very stressful pregnancy. Nicole had to you know, go in and get her fluid checked three times a week and the whole thing. How far into the pregnancy did they find this? This was right after they do the initial blood work. So I think like a couple months. First trimester? Yeah, first trimester. Yeah, towards the end wow. of the first trimester. And so she, uh, she was born... Went right into surgery. Of course. Like literally 20 minutes in to, to put everything back in. 
but she she's a healthy little girl. She she had another emergency surgery a year later because she had a, a complication, but she's had none of the complications that a lot mm. of gastroschisis babies have. She was in the NICU half the time. So she was in mm. the NICU for 25 days as opposed to the average 40 days. Mm -hmm. So she's our little unbeatable yeah. mind warrior baby. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but that's, well, yeah, so yeah. you want to give back to the market. So that's, that's, okay. those are, those are the, yeah. from a, from a giving back standpoint, those are the two uh, charities that are close to my, to my heart and why, mm -hmm. you know, and also why, uh, I like the transition that I'm in now. Uh, I have a much more flexible schedule. Last right. company, had, you know, not big, but we had 150 employees and yeah. you need to be there. Yeah. Whereas now I have the flexibility to give more time to these things nice. and also do your family. The other things. Yeah. And the family. Yeah. That's cool. So you want to keep it like that or do you see taking point being growing into a consultancy? Or? Yeah. It, the taking point, like a lot of speakers or consultants books is designed to be a, a prescriptive curriculum yeah. uh, for a consultancy mm -hmm. that can also be, and my wife tells me this every day because Although she likes, you know, she likes me being out of the last company. She doesn't mm -hmm. like single parenting <laughs> while well, I'm on the road every week. You know, you, I mean, you know, mm -hmm. you travel a lot sure for this type do, of thing. Yeah. And it, uh, it's tough on mama. And mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. uh, the vision is to gradually, not, you know, not too quickly, but gradually use the book and why it's full of case studies and research mm -hmm. and why it can be a curriculum for a consulting practice to mm -hmm. then, of course, train other consultants mm -hmm. and deploy them yeah. to speak yeah. or to, and, and also, you know, like-minded individuals, whether they be guys from the community or, mm -hmm. you know, military mm -hmm. or sure. other types of, you know, smart business Terrific. out there. Yeah, and to, or, to also create a very diverse cross-functional team of consultants right. that could touch on different things, whether it's emotional intelligence or culture or leadership. Or, yeah. We just launched our first coaching program, coach certification program from being awesome. online. Yeah. Very cool. We got 20 people in it. We had a hundred applicants. Yeah. How do you create a certification program? It's a long conversation, probably. Okay. But uh, <laughs> For, we, we aligned ourselves with the ICF, International Coaching Federation. Nice. And they have an accreditation process. And so we're meeting their standards. So we're accredited ICF, you know, and I could give you the details. Congrats. And, that's awesome. And so, um, you know, but I first, should go through your course. Yeah. <laughs> <Seriously>? <laughs> walk up crawl, walk, run. You know, yeah. first year we got 20 people, you yeah. know, and, and there are guinea pigs and they know it. Yeah. And, you know, and our stuff is, um, you know, it's not, a, it's not a simple thing to teach what we teach, you know, because we're doing integrated development, which is vertical development. We're trying to vertically develop leaders, right. and then eventually that'll go into the organizational space. We're kind of focused on the individual really yep. right now. And vertical development is a relatively new, new field, right? Right. So right. We're, we're actually trying to evolve consciousness in the individuals. Yep. And my why is to, to eventually, you know, to have that evolve global consciousness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. One person at a time. Yeah. Like McCraven's speech, you know, if I can get, yeah. if we can get, you know, 10,000 people evolved, then those 10,000 yeah. people will get 10,000 people in our exactly. pretty soon awesome. you cover the club. So I think it'd be fun. You know, we'll, we'll have some conversations, but there's probably some collaborative stuff we can do, what, either in philanthropy or, right. you know, in leadership de development. Well, I, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I'm trying to get my, uh, my client, the Toronto Raptors, down here because oh, right. they need right. to put. They want to put their guys through some some seal fed. We magic. just did some work with the Flyers. <laughs> nice. Yeah. How'd that go? It went fantastic. Yeah. They, they absolutely loved it. It was with their yeah. development team. Yeah. And um, gosh, I'm not sure they want me to say this on public, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's okay now. Yeah. But anyways, they they had we did have an incident where one one turd you know freaked out in the ice bath, like after three <laughs> minutes, right? Literally, one cat like freaked out and got. Yeah. got Got taken away in an ambulance. Oh, it's crazy. He signed I mean, a waiver. He did. I know. It's like we didn't do anything. Anyways, his dad is like, "Yeah, he was hyperthermic." And it's like there's not a snowball chance in hell. You're like, no, no, he wasn't. No, he was <laughs> in there for a He was weak. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Dad. Sorry to break the news. Sorry to break the news. <laughs> but you probably knew it already. <laughs> exactly. And so did the Flyers. Yeah. So that's that's the that's the bottom line. Yeah. Right? Anyways, that's very cool. And um, 
what do you do? We're going to wrap this thing up pretty soon. Yep. But what do you do when you're not traveling, writing, speaking, which is probably all the time? Do you, do you have a hobby or what do you do? Because I have uh, two of my children are under three or under three and a half. Uh, being a father. Being a father is the, the top priority as per my priority list and my wife's yeah. fitness. I, I just got to yeah. fit it in, you know, when and yeah. where I can, right. uh, as much as I can. Because you have a home I, gym or just... Yeah, well, we live in a gated community in Rancho Santa Fe, and the, there's a big community center with an awesome gym there. Oh, cool. But I also have a home gym, too, so it depends yeah, yeah. on when I'm fitting it in. So that's what I'm going to do right you, after this. So. You like to do, like, workouts like 100 back squats with every minute on the minute? No. Five <laughs> No, I don't. <laughs> that was the one and only time I've ever done that. That's why I've never done it again. <laughs> no, I, 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 like to, I like to, you know, strength training, but, you know, try and fit, still keep doing distance running, distance swimming, okay. open water swimming. Nice. Yeah, that kind of Yeah, stuff. I love getting on the ocean. Yeah, it's, very it's time consuming, but it's super therapeutic. Yeah. I've, I've never felt better. I when I got out and was in grad school and then uh, working as an entrepreneur, one of our investors was a former frogman from the mm-hmm. Vietnam era. Oh no kidding! He knew my dad in college. They swam together, and then he went to Merrill Lynch. Been there ever since. He retired, but he also, you know, he was an all-American swimmer. So he loved. <sighs> Much to my chagrin, he loved to swim in the cove at five o'clock in the morning every morning. <laughs> and we're, we're the swim buddy, yeah. <laughs> and he wanted a swim buddy there every morning, but he invested in my company, so I'm not going to say no. Obviously not. not. Yeah. But it, it was, you know, it's depressing getting in the water when it's dark and cold outside. You feel, but you like, feel a million bucks, like a million bucks, and it's the yeah. best way to start your day. Yeah, for sure. So it's uh, yeah. I mean, those fitness mainly mainly is the the thing yeah. I try and keep up with, and yeah. other than that, it's family, and then. I don't have time for much of anything else these <laughs> I can, days. I can hear that. I can appreciate that reading. Too. I mean, I would say yeah, reading yeah. and cooking. Yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. All righty. So, um, taking point, the book is due out. Uh, is there a day in February? Yes. Uh, so it's being published by Simon and Schuster. Right. Uh, February twentieth will be the uh, the live date. Technically speaking, it's okay. it's available through my site brentgleasonspeaker.com for okay. pre order now. But we're not doing any. Uh, big pre-order push. It's too early okay. to do a pre-order push, but technically speaking, you can pre-order. Would you be able to send me a pre-copy or yes. parts of it? Yes. And would you be open to me riffing on some of the principles? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. Or tearing them apart. <laughs> uh, actually, no, please don't do that. I'll give you, <laughs> my, give you my perspective <laughs> yeah. on it. We love transparency. No, because I, think, <laughs> I think everyone listening would really, in, you know, because everyone on this, you know, we're all professionals. Everyone on, yeah. on who listens to this podcast is professional. And I think everyone, including myself, is fascinated with the subject of leadership and and, you know, I, I've been studying SEAL principles for leadership development, just like you have for years. But you, you probably longer than anyone. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I consider myself a neophyte still when it comes to, you know, human nature. Like yeah. it is vast. Like the potential yeah. that we have is vast. Everyone's different. You know, there's so many different ways that consciousness works and that motivation works. Yeah. And so, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm all about other team guys starting to really you know, think this stuff because I, I was alone right. for a little while. Not 100%, but right. when it comes to like really thinking about character but development. thinking about it to your point from a vertical development standpoint, right. nobody's really doing that. Nobody's doing Especially that. most organizations, they invest in what would essentially be management development. Right. It's not real leadership development, no. nor is it the type of leadership development that modern 21st That's gonna century work. organization. Right. It's not going to work. Yeah. Especially I think with the I mentioned, I haven't mentioned this publicly, but um, Reader's Digest, who published The Way of the Seal, it's now yeah. going into its fifth year. So next year is the fifth year anniversary. Yeah. So they came to me and said, hey, we want you to do a fifth anniversary edition and focus on right. leading in, in Accelerating right. Times. So, so you're going to add a couple chapters? I'm adding or? two chapters. Nice. One, leading in Accelerating Times, where we're going to go through VUCA and talk about yeah. how to deal with yeah. volatility and complexity. And the other on building lead teams. So it's right in sync right. with what yeah. you're doing. Perfect. And then I, the nice thing was I actually got to edit the book. Because, you know, once you put a book out by a publisher, it's like, 
you're done. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're done. Yeah. But my Unbeatable Mind book is self-published, so I've edited it three times. Oh, and nice. I'm about to do it again yeah. next year. Yeah. And I'm working on a leadership version and a teen version, T-E-E-N, oh, yeah. for, yeah, yeah, for yeah. young adults. Nice. And that's self-published, so you can go in there and tweak it any time you want, which is kind of nice. That's great. Yeah. But um, it was really, it's kind of a nice, nice, it is kind of scary, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's nice to be able to go back and, and to, to update a book. And I've actually cha- yeah. changing out some stories that aren't relevant. And I'm, I've taken a lot of references out to like Seal Fit and Unbeal Mind because it, it sounded a lot like a big marketing pitch, you know. And yeah. So, well, <laughs> which it know, was. But. Which, yeah, of course it was back then. <laughs> it was. But, but yeah, no, that, I'm, I'm excited. make it to, more credible and I'm excited some to see that. I'm excited to get your, um, your take. And I wouldn't be shocked if we're aligned on a lot of those sure philosophies. Yeah. So. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming down here. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's good to see you again, brother. Really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. And thank you. We'll see you around. All right. All right, folks. That's it. Thanks for your time. We don't take it lightly. We know you're busy. Unbeatable Mind podcast is available pretty much anywhere you can get a podcast now. But that's fairly recent. So if you're a Google guy or girl, then it's it's available on Android. It's um, on our website, of course, has all those details. And if you're not on our website or on our email list, please go to unbeatablemind.com slash podcast. Because we have a lot of cool things. We send the podcast out with special offers by email every week. So you certainly would see that. And then you see everything else that we do. We have a lot of, you know, early bird specials for, you know, events and stuff. So you only see that if you're on the email list. So go check it out. Thanks again. Train hard. Stay focused. Hoo-yah. Divine out. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleets, the bright swinging frogmen of the UTT. Oh, oh, oh.